Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. And that's Vanessa over there. Hello. That makes me Kelly. Uh, you guys might recall a couple weeks ago, um, I'd pulled out a, uh, a Instagram picture of a guy who had bought the challenge coin and talked about us being his favorite podcast or one of his favorite podcasts. And I had said, Hey, reach out to me if, if you're someone I know. And he did reach out to me and he's someone I've known kind of in the Facebook circles of horror and stuff like that. Um, But he sent me a nice message saying, thanks for the shout out. And he has a podcast also. Oh, really? you know, Aww. just like just like your mom, Vanessa has a podcast, and <laughs> everybody we know has a podcast. <laughs> Hell, my mom has a podcast. It's hard to download. <laughs> oh my god! Um, so I uh, I listened to a couple episodes of the podcast, and mm. uh, his name is Andrew Byers. His wife's name is Elizabeth. They've got a podcast called Friday Night Fright Fest, oh, and nice. they kind of do a um, a double feature thing where they talk about movies that would double feature together well, which is kind of what yeah, we were doing yeah. at, with Dead Again yeah. at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, they're very smart. <laughs> so, Wait a minute. So I would say listeners of this show might not... Look, they don't mention their balls in any episode. <laughs> so, and Vanessa, you know how we um, we hired you because of your looks. Oh yeah, that's his, great. For his wife sounds like she actually knows what she's talking about. Oh so. my god, <laughs> I have a master's degree. <laughs> I can bring it next time. Anyway, I I, uh, I enjoyed the podcast cool. very much. The last one that I saw was up is they went through the Fear Street trilogy. Oh, and oh cool. They're um they're quick and concise or not as long as our episodes or anything like that, which makes it um probably way easier to listen to than the three of us <laughs> rambling awesome. on. Right. Awesome. Speaking oh, of rambling on, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a terrible segue. Enjoy. But it's related to what you're just talking about. Uh Jamie, buddy Jamie dropped us a little coin for uh Crypticon or for Crypticon for <laughs> for Straight Geons Radio. And it was on the level that I was like, hey, you got a uh, a movie or something you're somebody you might want to talk about? He had um, he first came with uh, an idea that I think is a fine idea, but it'd be too easy. It wouldn't make a whole show. Because he's like, he, he, his, his theory is that Han is actually the hero of the Star Wars movies as opposed to Luke. Hmm. Like, probably talk about that, but that won't take long. He's like, how about this then? How about an episode about either Jamie Lee Curtis or Lawrence Fishburne? Ooh. Ooh. Either of those would be super fun. Sure, yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so yeah. we'll think on that and announce that at some point as one of our episodes we'll be doing. Uh, I love Jamie. Vanessa, Jamie was kind of uh, Eric and I's Bruce Campbell when we first started yes. out. He was the handsome friend who mm-hmm. could act, and we just kind of put him in stuff because Aww. we didn't know anybody else. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so good. Um, <laughs> yep, exactly. Does he? Okay, so he's lost his hair, but does he still have this gigantic grizzly adams beard going on he does he just has a, a goatee now because oh, okay. he had he's a 
massage therapist, so he has to wear a mask uh, all the time. That's got to be irritating. And I was like, no, oh, this doesn't work anymore. He was he was very handsome, and he had this deep, sonorous voice. And I was yeah. just I was just sure when he, when he was starting to go bald, I was like, Jamie, all your hair is just migrating to your chin because it wants to be closer <laughs> to your voice. <laughs> this is true. Yes, beautiful. Very true. Yeah, he uh, he's still and he's still like five pounds away from being ripped. Must must be nice. Yeah, no shit. Uh, We also got uh, A.G. Hughes and Mike Davis and uh, Jason Weiss. Sorry, it just rolls off. Um, (laughs) Jason Weiss all sent us stuff this week. So thank you guys very much. They are great. Participating in the value for value model, which is if you get something out of this podcast and you feel like you want to give something back in return... Make that something that uh, means something to you. How how does somebody uh, give us money if they want to do that? The best way, I think, would go to uh, buy me a coffee, or as we call it, buy me a pizza. But the website is buy me a coffee. But you can find the link at any of our podcasts. The If you open up your podcaster, there should be a link inside our description, and there should be, a, and there'll be a link on the website that I post on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You go to there, and there's a link down there. So if you're listening someplace, you have a link very close to you. Hmm. There you go. And don't feel like you have to give us money. Uh, the other thing that this value for value takes into account is if you're liking and sharing posts, yep. if you're sharing when we release an episode, if you're just telling your friends, if you're leaving reviews, that is also part of the value for value yes, model, yes, yes. and we appreciate all of it. It's yeah, very huge. Absolutely. More yeah. listeners are always welcome. I've seen, um, yeah, I've seen quite a few new people, new names, um, sharing our sharing our postings of new podcasts each week, and that's yeah. really exciting. Got to that me. little battle between Ryan and Daniel, and Ryan, Ryan seems to be getting you so far, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> sharing first. <laughs> I think Danny's on the road, so he ah, can be yes. forgiven for not. <laughs> uh, you guys, I watched something, Vanessa, that you just watched, and Ooh. I was like, oh boy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. And that was the Forever Purge. Oh, cool. Okay. I thought it was really strong. Oh, cool. I thought it was okay. nothing like the other Purge movies, but it, yeah. it obviously fell into that universe. So it worked. Sure. I thought mm-hmm. they had some really strong actors and uh, some really tense scenes where I found myself, you know, just freaking out a little bit. Interesting. I'm so glad you liked it. I was very on the fence as to whether or not you would. Well, I I guess I'm saying this just because this is a franchise that is hit or miss and mostly Mm -hmm. miss. And I think that this should be being talked about right now. I think it's really strong. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because um, I feel like the trailer made it look pretty bad. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to see this because I'm going to see all the Purge movies. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, hey. That was like probably my third favorite Purge movie. Wow. <laughs> Maybe even second. I think it was my second favorite. Nice. So your first is two, right? Yeah. What was your what's your favorite? One. Is it one? I like I like one and I like two, but it's almost like Alien and Aliens where they're so really different. different films. Very, very different. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen the new one yet. I'll I like two so much because that. that was where I kind of started finally recognizing Frank Grillo. Oh, and I was oh like, yeah. I need this guy to be the the Punisher or something yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah. No, um, I agree with you. I think that um, I, you know, it's probably got a few problems here and there because it's trying so hard to address some pretty 
big topics between um, class relations, race relations, um, country relations, <laughs> um, all seen through this lens of an event. But I really, I don't think it's done half-heartedly and I don't think it's stupid about the approach. And I really enjoyed a lot of the ride of the film. I don't think it's about that. I think it just has it in it. Yeah, and I thought that there was some real nuance in the main, in the lead character. That oh, wow. I, I was like, I wasn't <laughs> expecting this kind of uh, complex of a character in one of these movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's For <a> sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, so I actually uh, just went and saw the new A24 movie, which... Oh, I the Green, Green Knight? Green Knight, yeah. Dev Patel. In it. And um I I enjoyed it, but it was not the movie I thought it was gonna be. Oh really? And the yeah. kind of the trailer, like you're just saying the trailer was bad for this one. This one was too good for the movie. It or? was just misleading oh, because okay. a lot of A24 content that have a trailer like that are actually horror films. Yeah. So hereditary or um gosh, uh Midsummer. Mm -hmm. Like this is it felt like it was gonna be like that, and it is not. Oh. It is a medieval story. It is a folklore story. And I don't know if anyone out there has is familiar with medieval literature and stories, but it's a King Arthur tale with a right. little bit of spookiness to it, a little bit of indiness to it. And I, I don't know. I enjoyed it, but I'm, I don't, it, it didn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I was really excited about the idea of it being a horror film. So right. I was a little yeah. disappointed. I really like Arthurian legends. So I'm curious to to see that. But, I would uh, I would say you'll like it. Okay. Yeah, it has a lot of really interesting takes on that. Um, the only thing that really um, rubbed me the wrong way is they do do the thing where they're dressed a little too modern at times. And oh, sure. You know, and you're like, I could just go full costume. You're like almost there anyway. Like, and they just up things a little bit so it feels a little bit more relatable. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there were times where I was like, why are you wearing that shirt? That's really weird right now. <laughs> Fruit of the loom? What the hell? <laughs> I guess they had it back then. They did have fruit and looms. And looms. <laughs> it's all coming together. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, anyway. I've seen on the internet a lot of hate for it, though. Yeah. Um, like I said, if you aren't into medieval lit or any of that, like I, I did a whole class on it in college. So I was like, oh, fuck, I think I studied this story. Um, mm. So that was really engaging mm. and interesting for me. But if you're not into that, you probably won't like it. I'll probably be okay because my impression of the trailer was more that. I just thought it, they'd up the horror action element, but they were telling the story. Yeah, it's the so, story. Okay, cool. Yeah. I saw, uh, it, I mean, very mixed reviews yeah. about it yeah. and the people who liked it, not that you're doing this at all, Vanessa, <laughs> but um, the people who liked it are doing that that nerd thing that I hate. Well, oh. if you knew anything about Arthurian legend, um, you, might, <laughs> you might realize that this is a very, a, a very uh, true to the source material story. <laughs> I feel a little like, put on the spot, <laughs> but I will say it is not true to the source material because the source material is like three lines of poetry. It's n no, it's basically like, let's take this story that has almost no detail and fucking fill it in, fill it into the brim with what we think might be interesting. <laughs> Who's the director of this? This is somebody's second or third film. I, I cannot remember. I think, I think that it, that was what drew me to it. 
but everything you're saying is pushing me against it, and I will just watch John Borman's Excalibur again instead. <gasps> I have not best. seen that. It's really good. It's oh. over the top, but it's a fantastic telling of Arthurian legend. I mean, speaking of double bills, just just do them back to back. Sounds go. great. <laughs> and with Excalibur, though, mm-hmm. your comment there about uh, geeks and their reaction, I came across a start or a Leonard Nimoy quote today that falls right into that that I totally agree with. Canon is only important to certain people because they have to cling to their knowledge of the minutia. Open your minds, be a Star Trek fan, and open your mind and say, where does Star Trek want to take me now? Ooh. Love that. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Fucking Nimoy was so amazing. (laughs) So, but uh, what did I watch? Well, I watched a lot of um, um, uh, Portland Horror Film Festival was this last week. Oh, yeah. And um, so one of the ones I watched was called uh, Merald, I think is how it says, or Merald. Boy, it was almost really good. (laughs) It's a a movie within a movie where they've got a group of people and uh, they're on an island and they're doing stuff, although they're not doing a lot of stuff. That's part of the problem of the film. And then it cuts to the film crew behind and things start to go. And... I wish they would have centered more around that because mm-hmm. when they pull back to the film crew and the things that go on, like um, they have problems with uh, uh, seemingly military people on the island saying they can't be there mm. and some other things. And that story is really interesting. Yeah. And the story they're telling in the movie is a good short story. <laughs> oh, no. And the, I don't know, it was really well shot. It's decently acted, uh, but it was worth seeing. I'm not, it wasn't annoying. I was like, oh, I know why this is a festival film because if you've done a lot of festivals, you understand exactly what I mean by that. I know exactly what you mean. But it's, it was worth seeing. I was glad I saw it. I think Portland did a pretty good job. I can't believe they did nine days. Yeah, that's Whoa. So I uh, didn't watch everything they had, but uh, wow. I was working on the film festival for Crypticon at times, doing the planning and stuff. So I would open a window and have the festival playing on the side. It was my podcast, I guess, sure. for this week, <laughs> which worked most of the time, except, you know, it's a foreign film. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, Got to read. read for a little while. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I actually know that life because uh, we're coming, uh, putting together the Anderson Island Film Festival. Oh, right. yes. It's the third version of it. Uh, fourth year of trying to do it. And um, I was also spending the week watching a lot of films that are not relevant to this podcast at all (laughs) and trying to do work at the same time and being like depressed constantly. (laughs) All of the films that were suggested, I was like, I just want to like curl up in a ball and die. (laughs) That that goes to um, when somebody sees a movie in the theater, like I was behind a couple at uh, John... Well, not John Carter of Mars, but that's what I call it. But And they stood up and said, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. I'm like, wow. You have seen, what, three, four films? Uh, the last two films I saw were Jaws and The Godfather. And this is definitely the worst film I've ever seen. Any movie that gets any kind of a release is not as bad as movies can get. Yeah. I don't care who releases it. Any movie that gets some kind of release. <laughs> Did you stand up and hand them a copy of our movie? No, well, you should try this. <laughs> All right, we got a release. <laughs> now a collectible item. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm a little surprised how this first round went. Is nobody going to talk about the Elephant in the Room film? Um, depending on what elephant you're talking about. 
Uh, did we? I all? have not seen. You haven't seen, seen Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad no. I did see it. Well, Vanessa, Eric sucks. So let's talk about Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, well, um, man, what did you? What did you think? I mostly liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought it had some really great moments in it. Felt very James Gunn to me. Yeah, that there was exactly go. what I said when I left. I was like, this is a real James Gunn picture. It, more so than nice. like Guardians of the Galaxy, Absolutely. which, which really? has his touches, but not his uh, disturbing like, sickness. Yeah, there's <laughs> right. like a safety net. <laughs> for galaxy. Yeah, I did Not see so a, I did see a screenshot well. of uh, something Shark does at one point I'm going, hmm, all right, they yeah. they've upped the violence, <laughs> I see. <laughs> Super gory. They apparently gave him carte blanche on who can live and die in this film. That's and I was so like, good. Like, nice. like, wow. Okay, that guy's kind of a major person. I'm surprised he's gone now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I liked it. I I didn't like it as much as the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Yeah. But uh, it definitely felt more like he had control of this film. Mm, yeah, nice. it felt like Dark DC, yeah. which I am a huge fan of. Yes, push it towards weird and interesting places. That's what the comics have been doing, and I'm all in. Uh, I thought that the fascinating thing about it to me was I was a little bit taken aback that there was almost no first act. And... Mm. I think the reason why there's no first act is because we already know as audience viewers, we've already seen um, the the other Harley Quinn movies. We know who a lot of these characters are. We we saw the other horrible Suicide Squad. And I feel like (laughs) he's just like, don't worry about it. You already know all this. So let's just jump into the action. Um, there's a little bit of setup that you get about various characters, but they're, it's, it's quick and it's dirty. I think they were done basically with the intros in about three or four minutes in. I think I remember looking at the, my watching going, oh, okay, we're, we're done with that. As opposed to the, uh, first Suicide Squad movie, which was like 45 minutes in or whatever. And they're like, <laughs> oh, I guess we should make a movie now. But yeah. And then they kind of feed you little bits of information throughout the rest of the film, but there's no there's no initial setup in the way that you nice. expect. Spider-Man movies need to figure that one out. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I that's the only reason I want to see it is James Gunn. Yeah. I don't I haven't seen the other two. I have no desire to see either Suicide Squad or Birds of Prey. Mm. James Gunn, I'm going, I've been watching him since Tromeo and Juliet. Sure. So I will definitely you, see that. You should check it out. You should absolutely check it out. Uh, did you see it in the theater then? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just took nice. advantage of it being on HBO Max. Oh, sure. Yeah, no charge. No. I was. <laughs> I could have seen it that way and decided um, I wanted to get the hell out of my apartment. Oh, sure. So that was tired really... of your man already, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's, no, he went with me. <laughs> oh, okay, <that's laughs> we're good. both tired of the apartment. We're trying to make it look good, and that's exhausting. So I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I see you have the exact same problem as I do right now. Just looking around, I'm like, oh yeah, you're hanging art. I just spent a day hanging art too. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Yes, it does. Mm. Aside from Suicide Squad, the other elephant in the room that we're obviously all on the edge of our seats about, Escape Room 2. I keep uh, forgetting that that's out. <laughs> I really want to see it, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I want to see it. <laughs> I thought you, you liked the first one. I did. Oh, okay. That's probably why I don't necessarily need to see oh. a sequel to it, but you tell yeah. me... Because <laughs> I think we had the same problem with the end of the first one. Probably. Um... <laughs> You know what? It is a fun roller coaster ride. 
with very little plot. Like if you wanted to see more rooms and more weird ass shit in the rooms, this movie's for you. All right. This so is that's what, what I liked is. in the first one. So <laughs> yeah, the it's not really about anything else. Like they shoehorn a plot in a little bit, but it's not. <laughs> so it's, it's like really, the Saw movies. Yeah, it's a hundred percent like, <laughs> okay, this is this room. Okay, this is this room. And um, the major problem I have with this one is the pacing at which they uh, murder the various participants feels extremely off. Oh. Yeah. Like people die really quickly and then not for a bit and then really quickly. And you're like, the character development is literally one sentence per person. It's like, <laughs> this guy used to be a priest. This girl is famous on Instagram. That's all. Like, that's all you get. And then you're like, well... Am I emotionally attached to these people? I don't know. <laughs> um, but it was fun. I, I would recommend seeing it if you just want to put your brain on pause for a minute. Also a theater. Yes. You've got the pass or something again, right? And you're just like, I got to use up all of it. <laughs> my, my boyfriend does have the pass and I just mooch off of it. Okay. So it's like 15 bucks or something for us to both see it. So it's nice. just, it, yeah, it? it's pretty yeah. cheap. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I'm going to briefly mention one, and then I'll talk about something much better. Okay. We wrapped up the Police Academy movies with uh, <laughs> Mission to Moscow. Oh, my God. And that I can see why that killed this already not very good franchise that at least before had, you know, some funny shit in it. This one was just, wow, it's bad. Uh, tell me from the original cast of, of Police Academy, who is the, in this? The guy that makes the noise oh. is... Um, okay. The, and the uh, Hightower, not Hightower, because that was uh, Bubba Smith. The uh, gun nut and the lady with the boobs are the only three left at this point. Gun nut and the lady with the boobs. The blonde. The blonde with yeah. the, okay. Wow. <laughs> well, she's got like three or four shots where she walks into the room and you see her walking into the room before you see her. Oh, my God. Which was a very obvious setup <laughs> to show her. <laughs> Jesus. Um but yeah, the lady with the small voice is gone. Gutenberg's been gone right. for movies. Bubba's gone. Right. It's just, man. Yeah, it's rough. How the mighty have fallen. Oh, no. <laughs> they tripped a while ago. <laughs> they, they fell. This but the long stumble. What I did watch that was awesome mm. is I finally finished up Evil season two. Oh, oh season cool. two finished? The, the last one that I watched which I think must have been last Sunday's, was uh, the, you know, they do the previews at the end. Yeah. Said coming back, well, August 29th. So it's oh, like so taking a few we'll weeks hiatus. Half season hiatus. Yeah. I, I am behind you then, because I have not seen that episode. So good. <laughs> what a great series, so right? So good. Yeah, they took, they took all the stuff that was working in the first season mm -hmm. and threw away all the shit that wasn't yeah. and oh, added in good. a great sense of humor. Yes. It's, it's not as creepy, usually. But when it goes for the creeps, it still can pull it off. And just some of the shit, the, the new nun, the yeah. little old lady nun is an awesome addition to the and show. And that's Andrea Martin from SCTV. Is that who that is? Yeah. I knew she looked familiar, but I hadn't looked her up. Oh, man. She's, I, I've never seen her in a dramatic role, and she's like my new favorite person in this, oh, she's in so this good. show. And I'm glad they're not overusing her. Yeah. You know, they use her for really cool shit, but not... Just let her be. But, uh, yeah, it's all smart. It's all interesting. 
So highly recommended, man. You were right on that one. That is so damn good. Good. Andrea has that one scene with the uh, the holy water that mm. I was just very pleased right, with. Yes. Yeah. That, I was like, okay, I don't know how far behind he is, but that was awesome. <laughs> man, guys, I got to catch up. Yeah, what the hell are you waiting well, for, Vanessa? I got, you got I'm burned out. You're moving or something? <laughs> the Actually, I am running out of things to watch. I'm like really, really <laughs> trying to scrape at the bottom of the barrel at this point. Put, put on evil. You know, it's yeah. fr- the first episode of the first season is amazing. Well, really I'm about is. halfway through the first season, oh, okay. but so I'm burned out. I it, think that's what happened. It like gets it was a little, good, but then yeah, it gets sappy. a little sluggy, but it gets better at the end of season one. Okay. Yeah. And then it gets really, season two is really good. But you're right. They kind of introduce stuff towards the end of season one that they have completely jettisoned yeah. for season two. Oh, interesting. Like, Wait a second, wasn't this going on? <laughs> no mention of it now. Beautiful. Never mind. <laughs> hey, if it doesn't work, I'm thrilled that they cut it because there's there's just stuff in there that I, it, I like a lot, but there's plenty that makes me go, I don't know if I want to watch another episode right now. So, cool. Well, yeah, cool. Sure. How about we take a little break, guys? And sure. uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about films that take place in one location. Cool. What? What? Can you keep a secret? Maybe. What is it? Come here. Look. Wow. See? Isn't that neat? What is it? I don't know, but I found it first, so it's mine. What's that up there? Is that cheese? Could be. It sure looks like something to eat, doesn't it? Hmm. I wonder how this works. Hey, hey, don't touch it if you don't know what it is. Why? What's wrong? Well, I'm not sure. I just think that if we don't really know what it is, we shouldn't touch it. It might hurt us. Well, then what should we do? I know that some things are okay and some things are not. And I think if we don't know, we should ask. Ask who? Somebody who knows about stuff like this. Oh, you mean like Mom or Uncle Fred? Yeah, or somebody else we trust. We don't have to be afraid, but we do have to be careful. Just because somebody leaves something lying around doesn't mean it's okay for us to play with. Well, I found it, so I get to tell first. Hey, wait for me. <laughs> Reach your home. <laughs> A message from Concerned Children's Advertisers. Eric, this was yes. your subgenre. Yeah. Pick. Why don't you tell us again what this is really all about? Pretty much the idea is just one room, one or one small kind of smallish location. And uh, you know, if you gotta travel to get there or something, that's understandable. I believe this was suggested by uh, a couple like maybe even a year or so ago by one of our uh, listeners in Hong Kong. Oh, oh really? I didn't know that. If my memory is correct on that, thank you. If not, well, thanks for listening. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know we had listeners in Hong Kong. Yes, we did. Oh, hello, Hong Kong. (laughs) So, and the other reason for this is because I was shot down using the movie I wanted to talk about for one of our other subjects. I'm sorry, okay? I wanted to actually see that movie and it didn't quite fit. (laughs) Now I've seen it, so. No, okay. Yeah, I guess you can talk about it. All right, thank you. (laughs) So the movie I... Picked was uh, 2010's Buried. Yes, nine one one. Buried in a coffin in the ground. 
You have to help me. You have to help me. I can't breathe. How did you end up in the coffin, sir? My convoy was ambushed. They got hit in the head. They blacked out, and that's the last thing I remember. I'm being held for ransom. I need $5 million or I'll be left to die here. Okay, Mr. Conroy. Wait, wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. How do you know my name? What's going on right now? What are this money? I need more time. I'm begging you. Let me out of here. I promise you I will get you the money. Held up, man. <laughs> so I have not seen this. So oh, okay. This is Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Okay. It's yeah. pretty much Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> okay. It's a uh, uh, rental available for rent. Rotten Tomatoes critics at eighty-seven, audience at seventy-five. So well liked. Uh, budget was approximately two to three million, depending on who you talk to. It didn't do great in the U.S. It only did a million here, but worldwide it did nineteen. Oh, nice. So mm. it definitely made up for. America, directed by Rodrigo Cortez, who's done uh, Red Lights, The Contessant, and Down a Dark Hall, mm. Spanish director. Writing credits, Chris Sparling, who did An Uzi at the Alamo, which you know I kind of want to see what that's all about. Uh, ATM, which I have seen, and I think Buried is definitely a step up from ATM. Okay. And he's got two in pre-production right now. So, Ryan Reynolds. Heard of him? <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> well, he's done a lot of TV. <laughs> oh, I've seen him on those phone ads. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Probably best named for, known for Blade Trinity and the Amityville Horror remake, <laughs> 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 which he had a fantastic beard. Uh, there, he's currently in pre-production of a remake, remake of Clue. So I'm hmm. curious that how that's going to turn gonna out. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if he if he'd be playing the. Tim Curry role that might be fun, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Also, these a uh, cu- couple other people are mentioned here. You never see. He is the only. Well, you see one other face, but his is the only physically present person you see in the entire movie. Mm. Uh, Louise Garcia Perez was in Ways to Live Forever, Queens, Wolf, and uh, Robert Patterson, <laughs> Faust, <laughs> Red Lights, Nocturna. There's a few other names like Stephen, well, Stephen Toblowski, you know, am I right? Am I right? Right, right, right. From Groundhog's Day. Oh, okay. <laughs> Silicon Valley, 277 credits. So, you, you, and he's actually distinctive enough in his voice that when he talks, you go, oh, there he is. And then uh, Samantha Mathis, who is the lead female in Pump Up the Volume, Clove Hitch Killer, Super Mario Brothers, also very recognizable. But again, these are all just voices with Ryan Reynolds. The only face, you, the only screen presence you get. Wow! It's got a neat opening credits. I think psychologically, kind of sets up the movie in an interesting way. Very heavy, like uh, '60s graphic style. That late '60s kind of heavy graphics look, but the whole thing is going down. And at times, you see like you can you're going through dirt or something. But the entire opening credits make you feel like you're going down. Huh. Which I thought was very smart. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I really like this movie is because to that point, Ryan Reynolds has sort of just been this goofy little goof- goofball who's the guy who's in the movie that said all the one-liners and did all the shit like that. He's a badass actor in this movie. He is so fucking good from start to start to finish. He is just, he is the reason the movie works. If he wasn't any good, this movie doesn't work at all. Um, 
So after the credits roll, it goes to complete darkness. And then you kind of start to hear little noises and things, and it opens up with uh, um, a real close shot on his eyeball with a Zippo lighter lighting the scene up. So it looks very cool. Uh, this is not for anybody who's claustrophobic. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> uh, the movie runs about 10 minutes before anyone says anything, because, you know, who's he going to talk to? Then spends a, there's plot-wise, there's not a lot to talk to, but there is a lot of information as far as notes and trivia I'll get to. But he spends most of the time trying to, at the beginning of the movie, trying to figure out what's going on, where he may be, why the hell's he in a coffin? He has a phone that works, which I'll get into in the notes and trivia. And he does explain that he's, uh, give away a little bit of it, he's a civilian contractor in Iraq whose convoy was attacked. Starts trying to call people and doesn't go particularly well. His frustrations and things. And basically, the movie's a lot of him trying to get out. The main, the, one of the amazing things this film does is pull off keeping all that shit suspenseful for 90 minutes. Um, it's a fast-moving film. It feels like a lot's going on, even though very little is going on. There's a, a snake part that comes in that is a little weird, but well done. And that's pretty much where I stop talking about the movie and I'll dive into the notes because the story is, it's all about revealing what's going on. And that's part of the fun of the movie is just figuring out what's going on, how he ended up there, talk, trying to talk to FBI people, trying to talk to his home office. Uh, are you satisfied with the reveal then? Oh, yeah. Okay. The reason he's in there is somewhat obvious, but the way it unfolds is like, oh. Well, that's not nice. Mm. It was a 17-day shoot in Barcelona, shot in order, which makes sense for the film, mm. especially since he was constantly banging and burning himself throughout the thing on the, with the Zippo lighter and running it, pounding against the walls. So those bruises make sense mm. <laughs> as he's going along. The, the screenplay was part of the 2009 Blacklist. Okay. Hmm. It was... Not doing well, the writer had finally decided, you know what, I'm just going to get $5,000 together and make this movie. Brilliant script for a $5,000 film. But <laughs> Rodrigo Cortez came across and go, I I'll do this. <laughs> this is a great script. Let's work on that. And then Ryan Reynolds signed on. They got, depending on where you read, either 2 or $3 million to get the movie made. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan became claustrophobic. Towards the end of the film, as things continued to go on and uh, feel tighter and the movie feels more, does a great job of making it more claustrophobic as you move along. Uh, the only film I feel that compares to this is Descent. Okay. I've seen a lot of films, well, not a lot, but three or four other films that play off this claustrophobia idea. Like there's this one called Crawling, I think, where women just keep crawling through tighter and tighter spaces. And at some point it just becomes, this is no longer claustrophobic. This is just dumb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, that this movie does not have that problem. Reynolds described the last days of shooting unlike anything I've experienced in my life and I never ever want to experience anything like it again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they built seven coffins for the film. One was called the Joker because it was their wild card. You could remove walls, you could shoot from any angle, you could do all kinds of stuff. That the, the, It was built for the sound. It's probably the most used coffin. Uh, lifted about 35 inches off the ground so the crew could work at a regular level. It's like, well, that's nice. <laughs> they also had the tunnel, uh, which is a longer design built to give perspective on, so they could pull back and show his body, long, long body in the coffin. 
And uh, one called the wall, which I think is only used once, has giant walls on the sides where they just do a shot that pulls up and up and up, and it just looks like the coffin walls keep growing with, as it goes up. The 360 rotating takes could move around and um, kind of create the illusion that the camera could see through the walls in certain environments and was just uh, all around useful. The others were not mentioned in the making of. <laughs> so like, oh, why do you say you have seven and only talk about four? <laughs> he was, Reynolds was, he'd spend hours in the coffin, which is why he got that. He banged his head, bruised his body, scratched skin up, countless burns from the Zippo lighter. Because they took the lighter and amped it up. Oh, so sure. the flame on the Zippo is oh. much larger than a regular Zippo lighter. Yeah. Okay. Here's the big problems that people that didn't give it a good rating had that I'm now going to tell you. Well, you're wrong. The, that he can make calls, and even there's points where videos are sent in to and from. The representative uh, from a company from Zion, who's the largest wireless network provider in the Middle East and Africa, says that the coverage is plausible if he's not buried too deep. If he's buried less than six feet, the signal can go that deep into the dirt. Oh. And so, yeah, it's very completely completely workable as long as you know he's not buried out in the middle of nowhere and he has he's within six feet uh this uh, the uh popular mechanics actually did an article <laughs> on the science and debunking the people complaining about what was well this is dumb How do you get, i can't even get a signal in a subway yeah because you're under concrete <laughs> you're not under dirt dirt is not a solid mass it's very very pliable you know, may have probably wouldn't have as good a quality as he had. <laughs> I mean, these are some crystal clear calls. It probably would, you know, taken longer to send those videos than is represented in the movie. Um, but again, still would work. Uh, let's see. The other side is: Would you have movie, or would you have movie? Would you have air <laughs> <laughs> after uh, that time? Um, yes, apparently you could, maybe. Uh, there were some studies done that were rather distasteful and disturbing involving animals, shall we say, mm. in like the 1800s to test how long somebody might survive in an enclosed area, like a coffin six feet underground. In theory, he could last the 94 minutes of the movie. Not necessarily likely. The Zippo taking oxygen would not be significant enough to really make that much difference, apparently, for the breathing. Oh. The bigger problem would be the CO2 buildup right. from his exhaling. Oh. Uh, so that, but it is at least, it is at least plausible that he could survive. So the, um, the movie occurs in real time then? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We all know, you've all heard those stories of somebody who survived this amazing thing sure. and you know, 90% of the time they probably would have died, but this is plausible enough that he could have survived that 94 minutes. So to all you debunkers, you're wrong. <laughs> so uh, the film held up so well. I was worried. I wasn't you know, it's like, okay, maybe it's just because I was so surprised by Ryan Reynolds actually acting mm -hmm. that I just was blown away by that. Nope. Suspense is still good. It moves at a, like I said, an amazing pace. His, the um, roller coaster ride of following an actor works really well on this one. He doesn't seem to get, when he gets angry, you're completely on board. It's like, yeah, 
I can see why the hell you're angry right now. Mm-hmm. And then when he calms himself down, it's like, all right, okay, you're doing the right thing. It just works. It's really, really well done. Um, it won Best European Feature Film of the Year at uh, some Strasbourg Film Festival. <laughs> so, I don't know. Ryan Reynolds won the Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Actor wow. that year. Uh, f- many different festivals and some larger, like, Spanish not Oscars, but like maybe Golden Globe kind of awards. Mm. 18 nominations and nine wins for various things, including the film itself, writing, directing, editing, acting, and the score. We're all nominated or won. The score is really good because it's incredibly subtle, Mm. which if it wasn't, wouldn't work in this film. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Roger Ebert liked it. <laughs> I take back everything I said about you getting cancer, Roger. <laughs> Three point five out of four stars says the director behind this Spanish filmmaker behind this diabolical Hitchcock influential narrative stunt makes merry mischief with carry angles and lightning, which is true. Wow. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, however, is an idiot, awarded the film two out of five stars, 90 minutes of being buried alive with Ryan Reynolds. Didn't we suffer that in the proposal? Oh, Lord. Like, yeah, that's not even a good joke, guy. Come on, man. Peter Travers is a piece of shit who yes. gets paid for his reviews by the studios. And if they don't pay him, he doesn't give them a good review. Oh. And that's why you ah. can see him rate real turds of a movie. And, and it says, a delight. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. Like, uh, oh, okay. Uh, they gave him money. I, I can completely understand that because anytime I've run into him, it's usually those kind of ones because he's trying to be clever and he's not. <laughs> he's a piece of shit. <laughs> but other than that, I have no strong feelings about him. Very, very nice. So that was my movie. What did you have, Vanessa? Well, um, I went with a different film, not quite as claustrophobic, I would say. <laughs> yes, there aren't many. <laughs> there's a lot more room to move, at least elbow room, if nothing else. Um, and I went with a film that's a little bit more popular. I'm sure quite a few people ended up seeing it, but I hadn't seen it, which is 1408. You're not going anywhere. You're staying right here with us. Daddy. Everyone dies. When Mike Enslin lost his daughter... The afterlife became his obsession. You probably want to hear all about our haunt history. But after years of searching, he no longer believes. So you're saying there's no such thing as ghosts? I'm saying I've never seen one. Nothing would make me happier than to experience a paranormal event. Gerald Olin, manager of the Dolphin. If I can just get the key to 1408. In the 95 years of the hotel's existence, there have been 56 deaths in 1408. 56. No one's ever lasted more than an hour. The first victims to Kevin O'Malley. Cut his own throat. Do not stay in that room. This is it. Hotel rooms are a naturally creepy place. It does have the vague air of menace. more than an hour. <laughs> You're going to have to try harder, Olin. Is that what I'm seeing? It's not real. It's 
real as it seems. Have yeah, well, I, I like this movie. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Okay, cool. It's I do you do either of you know if Stephen King actually likes it? Oh, I don't know about that. Stephen yeah. King likes everything. Yeah, that's made out of his. I feel like that's not true at all. <laughs> oh, he's please. he's yeah. fine with it all. I think I, he just kind of goes, oh, you know, that's their take on it. Interesting. Yeah, the um, like late eighties and video and stuff. The Stephen King likes this movie thing mm -hmm. really began to mean absolutely nothing. Oh, sure. Because he <laughs> liked everything. <laughs> I've definitely seen that on a few comic books. Like, Stephen King thinks it's good. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, this uh, film has a Rotten Tomato score, whether or not Stephen King liked it, of 79% critics and 61% audiences. So, not a huge favorite. But, you know, enough people seem to like it. It's not 35%. Um, <laughs> the budget was $25 million, And the box office was $133 million. Nice. So wow. it did good. Um, really interesting crew behind this. The director was Michael Hafstrom, who's Swedish. Um, so hasn't done a ton of American projects. He's actually only directed 20 movies including um, 2003's Evil, 2011's The Right. I, I always like you're only, and then you say like 30 films or 20 movies. Like he's <laughs> only directed 20 movies. I mean... <laughs> Eric, he's only 42 years old. Okay? He's only had time to direct 30 movies. I guess, you know, I guess because we have so many actors that are like 175. Well, sure. I think the numbers in my head just start to go... You've been in 11 or you've directed, right. you've produced. I don't know, man. That's not a lot. Jeez. <laughs> it's more, it is more than I have. Thanksgiving must be uncomfortable there. Oh, on your 11th film? Hmm. Rough. <laughs> Basically, uh, you want to go and learn how to make shoes because... Donald Pleasance has done over it. 250 movies. What are you wasting your time? <laughs> <Donald> <laughs> Director. <laughs> Fine. Um, well, a movie that you would have heard of that he directed was Escape Plan. He also sure. writes a lot of Scandinavian television, which uh, we know nothing about, so I'm skipping. Um, <laughs> the writers, this is based on a Stephen King short story, which I'll get more into later. Um, Matt Greenberg, who did Children of the Corn 3, Prophecy 2, Halloween H2O, Reign of Fire, and the 2019 Pet Cemetery. Um, and then you have this wow. sort of uh, writing team of Scott Alexander and Larry uh, Karaski, man, there's not enough vowels in that name. <laughs> um, and they did um, together Ed Wood, People versus Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, Big Eyes, Goosebumps, 
Um, Holy cow. Yeah. The difference between those two writers' credits is kind of phenomenal. <laughs> it, you know, I think they must have been bouncing off each other. I think they must have all brought something to the table. Mm-hmm. Hey, Larry, um, we're bringing in the writer Children of the Corn 3 because we don't think that you guys are We're not sure you well. can handle it. People there versus Larry Flint just said, too many problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do wonder if somebody was brought in to be like, we got to make this more Hollywood, but or less Scandinavian. <laughs> That's extremely possible. This film stars a couple of cool, cool cats. We've got uh, John Cusack as our hero. He's been in 89 projects. Only 89. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Work harder. Uh, that is because while he started off strong, 16 Candles, Better Off Dead, Stand By Me, One Crazy Summer, Say Anything, we got to the 90s and there was a bit of a lull. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think, pissed off too many people. So he got a lot of small roles, um, basically as nothing parts until Gross Point Blank. And then Con Air, Anastasia uh, started getting his ass back up again. <laughs> then... Some more bad roles in their early 10. So I think he pissed more people off again. And then uh, he made another resurgence with Hot Tub Time Machine. And he's been uh, having quite a bit of work since then. He currently stars in Utopia. Does he have a bad rep? I'm not familiar I if think he does so. He had a horrible alcohol problem. Oh, okay. And That'll do. that was, he kind of screwed himself out and then he moved away. In Hollywood oh. and just took a break and got himself sober and okay. that's when he came back. And the bad films he's making now are all his production company. Ooh. So he oh. makes them for a small amount of money, sells them for a lot of money ah. in, in overseas. And so he's doing oh. just fine. Don't worry about John Cusack. Well, I mean, he's been in 89 things, so I wasn't super worried, but I was just like, why are you playing like police officer after you were in Say Anything? But all right. We also have in this film, total surprise to me, I guess I didn't look at the cover, the box cover of the movie, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. who's been in 195 things. Finally, somebody with a little clout. <laughs> <laughs> he plays um, the hotel manager of said 1408 uh, fame, but you might know Samuel L. Jackson from Marvel's Iron Man or <laughs> Iron Man 2, Marvel's Thor, Marvel's Captain America, First Avenger, Marvel's The Avengers, 1, 2, 3, and Endgame, Marvel's Captain America, Winter Soldier. Uh, it, it does it does go on. But I do like that he's in Marvel's Disney Infinity, Marvel Superheroes video game. And uh, he will be in some of the uh, What If episodes. Oh. So that's exciting. He's also, you might know him as an angry, sweary uh, black gentleman that a lot of people like to uh, <laughs> typecast in their films, primarily Tarantino. He's my favorite angle sweary, a- angry, <laughs> sweary black person. He's mine He's too. Excellent at He's it. really, really fun I mean, to watch. When, when a whole ridiculous fan base demands that you change the rating on a movie just so we can say fuck. And they do it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how we've been blessed with Samuel L. Jackson, but we are a lucky, we're living in a good time, (laughs) people. I agree. I agree. Um, We also have not, you know, there's not a lot more people because of, I think, the nature of this uh, challenge. Enzlin's wife, aka John Cusack, the main character's wife, is played by Mary McCormick who's been in 70 things. Um, I didn't recognize her at first, but um, she's in in Plain Sight, 61 episodes. The Kids Are All Right TV series. But I did recognize her from West Wing. Uh, she's in 48 episodes of that, as well as K-Pax and Deep Impact. 
Um, she does a lot of stints on TV. Um, but maybe our viewers know her from, our viewers, our listeners, <laughs> know her from Scooby-Doo, WrestleMania Mystery, voicing Miss Richards. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, Tony Shal- uh, Shaloup, 104 hmm. credits. Um, he plays the book publisher. Um, you might know him as Monk or from Marvelous Miss Maisel as the dad or Galaxy Quest or apparently Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as Splinter, the most recent one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, this story follows... Uh, I almost was wondering whether or not it would count, but I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> Michael, uh, We follow Michael Enslin, who is a cynical author who has long ago sold out. Originally, he was writing these really beautiful personal pieces, and uh, now he is pushing out these top 10 ghost novels and guides. Um, it's all about like top 10 ghosts in the uh, east side of the country, top 10 ghosts and hotels and over here, seaside hotel. It's just that kind of crap. <laughs> um, but one day he receives a really interesting postcard that says, don't enter 1408. And on the flip side, it shows a picture of the Dolphin Hotel. So he immediately is like, fuck you, I will. (laughs) He attempts to book a room at the Dolphin uh, and they refuse. They say um, he cannot ever rent such a room. He keeps saying, what about Wednesday? What about Friday? What about next month? What about next year? And they're like, nope, booked. His publishing house, who gets um, excited about the idea, lawyers up and manages to twist the arm of the hotel company, uh, and they are forced to let him have the room. Now, the hotel manager, um, who he meets when he arrives, Samuel Jackson, um, who is Gerald Olin, does his best to discourage him and says, no one has lasted more than one hour in this room in the last 95 years. Um, he makes, when, when they clean up the room, he makes his maids go in shifts and pairs. They keep the door open the whole time. They have a time limit. And even then he's had a number of them have issues, including one that gouged out her own eyes. The count currently, uh, is 56 deaths. Many are quote unquote natural, um, but uh, not really. Like <laughs> very healthy people are having heart attacks in this room. Um, one person drowns in this room, which seems impossible, and they're not quite sure how that happened. He also offers Enslin a really expensive old bottle of whiskey from the 30s. And he's like, well, how about you have this? What about this instead? You're a writer. You like to drink. How about this <laughs> bottle of whiskey? And Enslin's like, no, but I will take a glass to drink. <laughs> um, and then he's like, well, how about this huge book? And he like kind of puts down this tome of every single person who's died in it with info about who they are and their backstory. So basically enough to write this book, as well as saying, you can have the room next to 1408, which is identical. And uh, he's, he's just uh, really like, fuck you. <laughs> no, I'm even more determined and really digs his heels in. So... Samuel L. Jackson takes him up to the room, will not esca- uh, exit the escalator, uh, escalator, elevator, um, and gives him the bottle of whiskey and says, well, good luck. <laughs> um, and I do like there's a moment where he, he basically, basically says, I don't care whether or not you survive the night. I just don't want to clean up the mess the next day because it's, 
it gets gross. <laughs> so <laughs> really, really interesting setup. We see earlier in the film, Enslin and a different hotel, you know, where there is supposed to be this crazy ghost up in the attic and he just sits there and he's bored and there's nothing to do and he just walks around. And, you know, so they set up this idea of, he doesn't really believe in ghosts. He's never seen a ghost. So he gets into this hotel room and he's like, I don't know why the fuck this is a big deal. <laughs> he like throws his stuff down, gets his recorder out, just starts kind of talking aloud about what he sees. Um, he makes fun of the paintings in the room and the decor. Really nothing, nothing happens for a while. But then out of nowhere, the clock radio um, starts blaring the uh, song we only have, uh, we've only just begun by the Carpenters, <laughs> and it has a digital display that pops up at 60 minutes and begins to count down. Um, at this point, nice. Mike starts to experience strange shit. I think it starts off really, really creepy. It's really small stuff. Like he'll turn around and the uh, there will be mints on his pillow. There weren't mints before. Um, the bed goes from being made to unmade to made again. There's a lot of reflective materials in this, and I almost didn't want to pay too close of, of attention because I didn't want to see things change or move. Like, <laughs> this is a detail-fucking-oriented film. And when I talk about the trivia, we'll we'll get more into that, but it's it was really creepy. Um, and you as an audience member are seeing things also that he does not see. Mike starts to think that somebody's fucking with him. He runs around the room with his recorder going, all right, I think they must have been in the closet here and then run around the room because it's a circular room. And then they got out here at this time. And man, what a, what a great show you guys are putting on. What, this is a lot of fucking effort. And he's just talking to himself <laughs> basically the whole time. However, things start getting weirder. Uh, he opens a window. He has this window open. They're up like on the fucking 13th, 14th floor. And uh, he just has this window open the whole time. I'm like, dude, you're going to fucking die out this window for sure. <laughs> like you cannot just be like, I'm up here and people are telling me I'm going to die and it's fine. I'll have this window open. No big deal. It's whatever. So at one point, <laughs> the window does make a guest appearance by slamming down on his hand. Mm. He's now bleeding, runs over to the sink, throws it on, and hot, steaming air, water, boiling comes down on his hand. He's like, fuck, grabs his hand, <laughs> and he calls down. He's like, all right, I give up. I'm ready to go. Um, I'm ready to check out. And it seems as though the phone and the operator are no longer part of the hotel. It's something else entirely. He tries to leave the room. The doorknob falls off and shit gets crazy. <laughs> like crazy, crazy. Like it nice. just gets, it, it does escalate. At first you're seeing ghosts. Then the room is drastically changing. Um, the paintings at one point start to manip manipulate the room, almost like vengeance against him making fun of them. Um, there's like a picture of a ship at sea and it becomes then a torn ship that's like in a, a wild storm. And then all of a sudden there is huge quantities of water just in the room and he <laughs> is almost drowning. So it gets pretty nuts in there. Um, Nice. He tries to find a number of ways of escaping, of course, but um, none of them are really working. However, he does manage to use the internet I love it. It's early internet film. So good. <laughs> he gets onto like really early Skype with his um, estranged wife. He contacts her. She says, what the fuck are you doing in New York? You didn't tell me you're here. And then followed up with, fuck, I'm coming. And he then says, no, don't come. 
but his picture, his little um, icon on the screen says, yes, please come. Like, I need you here right away. I'm, I really need your help. And he's like, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> so he starts to argue with himself. Um, this has a lot of crazy shit happen. Um, it has the thing where you're not sure whether or not he gets out at one point, yeah. which is really fascinating. He he writes the entire novel of what happens in this room while he thinks he is out. Like he lives like several weeks of life and then discovers he is not out. Um, so when you do get to the end of the film, you really aren't sure what's real. Um, and I think that's because he's not sure what's real. I don't know if that's really based in like, haha, we're filmmakers and we tricked you. I think it's a lot more trying to give you the psychological state. The things I like that, about this movie is um, those scary parts gave me the shivers, nice. which is rare for me with horror films at this point. Mostly I'm just like, ah, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's this constant maze going on. The mentality of the circular room is played really well. Um, I like him walking around yelling at the ghosts and talking about how it's not real because that's totally what I'd do. I'd be like, this is really dumb. This is not real. I'm going to talk to myself <laughs> the whole time because then I'm less scared. I like that when he returns to the real world at various points, it always feels off. That's really, really nice. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's fucking fun. He's really fun. He plays a great character in this because I think I'm so used to seeing him as like the loud, big personality, mm -hmm. seeing him as more of a like distinguished uh, manager who's just like, hey, dude, I'm going to be real with you about this. This is fucked up. He just gives that role a lot of life. Um, and I am a short little spoiler here. Sorry, guys. Uh, in one of the times he thinks he's gotten out, um, there's this amazing moment where he's in the post office <laughs> and all this, there's construction going on inside the post office. And this is when he's like going to mail his manuscript off to um, his publisher. And all of a sudden the construction workers start breaking the walls and bringing it down. And the walls of the hotel are just behind the bricks of the post office. And they're ripping up the floorboards and it becomes the floor of the hotel. It's really cool, really fucking cool. The things I disliked, I felt like it kind of really shifted gears of what kind of horror it was just by going from that small, creepy insularness to big, bombastic moments. Um, there's a lot about his family that um, I, I don't know if it works or not. I, they try to pull some heartstrings about a sick daughter, and I just wasn't super feeling it. It felt a little bit manipulative. And also his wife comes to his rescue way too quickly <laughs> for like an estranged, we haven't talked in a long time, and we are not on good terms wife. She was just like, oh, I'll be right there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow, all right, you're a really nice person. Um, there is a shit ton of trivia about this movie, so I'm going to try to keep it lighter. But I think because it's based on a Stephen King book, sure. this, this, the biggest thing is this has fucking Easter eggs all the way through. Tons and tons and tons of Stephen King Easter eggs. So um, just for example, uh, in the movie, Mike Ensland says into the recorder, hotel rooms are just naturally creepy places, don't you think? I mean, how many people have slept in that bed before you? How many of them were sick? How many of them were losing their minds? Which is what Stephen King wrote in his explanatory note of 1408 in a compilation of book, uh, compilation book of his short stories. It's stuff like that. It's really all over the place. 
uh, at the book signing uh, that we see early on, Mike writes, stay scared um, in there, which is a phrase that uh, George A. Romero says all the time. And he was really good king, uh, friends with Stephen King. So like the connections get crazy. Like some of them are really distant. Some of them are really close. For one of the first victims of the room was named Grady. Grady was a character in The Shining. Um, there's things like people's clothing, people, things people say all throughout. The, whoever wrote this was the biggest fucking Stephen King nerd. It's unreal. Um, the tagline for this movie, The Dolphin Hotel invites you to stay in any of its stunning rooms except one. Uh, just you know, pretty clever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the story in which this film was based was almost never written. St Stephen King originally created the first few pages of 1408 for his nonfiction book on writing as an example of how to revise a first draft. The story, however, intrigued him and he wound up not only finishing a complete draft, but he adapted it uh, for an audiobook compilation of short stories. The initial story inspiration for 1408 came from a collection of real life news stories about world-renowned parapsychologist Christopher Chacon, uh, who investigated the most notoriously haunted hotel rooms in the world. He had visited hundreds of hotels from New York to San Francisco. Keanu Reeves was initially attached to play the lead in this role. This is the second time John Cusack appears in a St uh, Stephen King film adaptation, the first being Stand By Me. Then uh, him and Sam Jackson appear in the adaptation of The Cell in Ugh, 2016. So bad. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I've seen The Cell. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. This is one I've talked story about. story is... Is it beautiful? I thought it was very low budget, and I, I think it's one of Cusack's production a, company. I think ones. there's two different oh, I'm thinking Cell of the wrong movies. Cell. Oh, you're thinking of The Cell, and yeah. you, Vanessa, are talking about Cell. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, Cell was not good. <laughs> so. uh, it's pretty neat. The room of 1408 is a set and almost all the footage you see of places like the city um, was all from, purchased from gettyimages.com. He's <laughs> very, very nice touch there. Early, again, early internet. Um, there are many references to the number 13 throughout this movie. It's nauseating. First of all, if you add up one, four, and eight, which is from 1408, it equals 13. The room is on the 14th floor and the hotel skips the 13th floor. So the room is technically on the 13th floor. Sure. Aha, how crazy. The room's key lock also has 6214 etched on it, which, add, which adds up to 13. And the first death was in 1912, which adds up to 13. Um, the hotel is mentioned to be at 2254 <laughs> Lexington Street in New York City. Guess what that adds up to? 14. <gasps> 13. Oh. Damn. I know. So math, close. Math is not my strong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't check the numbers, but I'm just going to assume on that one. I didn't I didn't bother with it. However, the bottle that Gerald Olin offers Mike Enslin is named Le Cinquant Sept Desis. In French, it literally means the 57 deaths. And just afterwards, we learn that in room 1408, there were only 56 deaths, which assumes oh. that perhaps he will be... Fifty-seventh. Um, Not the 13th. <laughs> I know, right? They should have just kept it low. About 57. That's 12. That's ah, so close. Dang. <laughs> 
Um, the only other thing I want to mention about this movie um, is that there were actually uh, three endings to this film. And if you have the DVD special edition of it, you will automatically see a different ending. Um, the ending I saw on Amazon was um, pretty chill. <laughs> it was it was not the sad ending, but the automatic one you get on the DVD is a sad ending. And I don't know what the other ending is about. However, I do know that none of the three have anything to do with the ending that Stephen King did. <laughs> Oh, huh. well, yeah. there you go. So that is 1408 for you. I like that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I remember liking that one. I thought it was going to be such trash just because, <laughs> I don't know, the poster art's crap. I seem to remember the trailer being crap. I was like, this is just some Hollywood schlocky BS 90s nonsense. Like, and yet it was really good. What year did that come out? I, I just looked and I did not write it down. Oh, okay. I really failed on that. 2000, yeah, early says. 2000s. Yeah. But it feels like that kind of same 90s art, right? It's like orange and, you know, two people's faces huge on the poster. Okay. I was wildly off. Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're same off as I was with, you know, 57. Just one. <laughs> All right. Can I talk now? I feel yes, like I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm bring done. It on. I'm done. Please take it away. <laughs> I cheated. <laughs> what? You cheated? This is a first. This is a strange eons first, folks. <laughs> Mark your Kelly calendars. cheated. Uh, when Eric first suggested this last week, he was talking about claustrophobic and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I don't like claustrophobic films because I have a touch of claustrophobia. That'll oh. do it. Yeah, don't so watch <laughs> from 2008, The Ruins. So, what do you guys think? Ancient Mayan temple off the beaten path? I want to go. I'm in. 1,000 years ago. This feels weird, Jeff. Why won't they come near us? This was a place of sacrifice. Wow. It's beautiful. It still is. This pump. is like a wide open claustrophobia or yeah, wide open they're, small space. They're stuck in one space, one space with a gigantic sky above them. So Yeah, but not much more. Well, <laughs> uh, 2008 had a budget of $8 million and a box office of about $23 million worldwide. Rotten Tomatoes critics, 49%, and the audience at 30%. Wow. Really? Ouch. Kind of surprising yeah. because yeah. I really enjoy this movie and everyone I've talked to really enjoys yeah. it. So I remember seeing it in theaters and thinking it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Weird. Directed by Carter Smith, who has done a bunch of music videos and he did the, uh, you know, the Hulu series Into the Dark. He mm -hmm. did the episode uh, Midnight Kiss and he is in pre-production on a film that is getting a lot of buzz right now called Swallowed. 
written by Scott B. Smith. As far as I can tell, no relation to Carter. Um, he wrote the book, The Ruins, and he also wrote the book and screenplay for A Simple Plan. Oh, nice. Hmm. And uh, it stars Jonathan Tucker. You would recognize him from the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which I thought was decent. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, Westworld season three, tons of TV, including a brand new series called Debris. I don't, don't know, know. don't know it either, but I, I like him. He's got an interesting look. Jenna Malone, who was in Donnie Darko, Sucker Punch, The Hunger Games trilogy, and Nocturnal Animals came out a couple oh, years ago. I yeah. fucking loved that movie. Uh, Sean Ashmore, who was Iceman in the X-Men movies. He was in the Mother's Day Mother's Day remake that I spoke of uh, last year. And most recently, he is Lamplighter in The Boys. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. And Laura Ramsey, who was in Lords of Dogtown, Venom. Not the shitty Tom Hardy movie, but the cool one from 2005. Yep. And there was one in 2005? Yeah. Is it a, also about Venom? No. No. It's, oh. it's a creepy horror movie, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. And she was also in The Covenant, which is another movie I spoke of during, mm -hmm. I, I think, one of our witch episodes or something. Mm. Okay. So this is about these two young American couples who are uh, medical students with their girlfriends. They're in spring break in Mexico. And they meet Matthias, who is this German tourist who's um, waiting on his brother to come back. And they're, they're all kind of partying and drinking and all this stuff. And his brother was at this... Uh, this archaeological dig site that they had been kind of hip to that was out of the ordinary stuff. And Matthias tells the, the young couples, hey, I'm going to look for my brother tomorrow. This is something that you're not going to see on any of the tourist maps and everything. How would you like to come with me? And they all decide, okay, let's try this. That is a bad mistake. <laughs> Never go off the path, Never guys. Never go off the yes. path. So after a little difficulty, the group reaches the ruins of a Mayan temple, which is actually really fucking cool looking. Yeah. It's got these vines all over it and it's clearly not a tourist trap. In fact, there is nobody around it. And uh, they see the tent of Matthias's brother up on the very top of the ruins. And so as they start um, yelling up to him, they are suddenly surrounded by all these Mayan villagers who are armed with knives, bows, arrows, and one of them has a gun. And uh, they are with a... I guess you would call him a guide who brought them there. And uh, Matthias tries to explain their purpose. The villagers do not seem to understand Spanish or English. Um, but when one of the girls accidentally steps on some of the vines, the villagers become extremely agitated. <laughs> and when their guide starts walking towards them to try and calm them down, they shoot him dead. Well, yeah. Uh, bummer. So the rest of the group flees up the stairs <laughs> of this gigantic Mayan temple and end up on the top of the temple, big flat area. And that is where the rest of the movie takes place. It works for me because it is a big open sky, but they are really smart in how they do this in, in that they have some tents up there. So you've got some different scenes and there is a gigantic hole in the middle of this temple at the <laughs> yeah. top that drops down into something. <laughs> so uh, they get up there, they see the abandoned camp. Uh, the tent is there, nobody is around. They, uh, at one point, they hear a phone ringing down in the shaft. And they're like, shit, this is our way out. We got to get down there and get that phone. Uh, they lower Matthias down and uh, the rope snaps about halfway down and he lands hard. 
We're not sure if he is alive or anything, but um, they send one of the girls down then to see if they can figure out what's going on, get the phone, all this stuff. So uh, she gets down there. Matthias's legs are, it looks like his back is broken. So he's basically worthless. So they, she ties him up with the rope and they were able to pull him back up. And then she goes looking for the phone. She can't find anything and they pull her back up. They go down. Jeff is uh, one of the guys and Amy is his girlfriend. And they, they go back down the steps to try and talk to the Mayans that are there who are uh, apparently keeping watch over them to make sure they do not leave this place. And uh, they start threatening the the young kids as they get closer and all this. And the, the guide that they shot is lying there with his brain splattered all over. So it's fairly serious stuff. And the girl, Amy, she starts freaking out a little bit. And she grabs one of the clumps of vines and she throws it at them and it hits this young boy. I mean, this is like a 10-year-old boy or something who's standing there. And that freaks out these Mayans a lot. And the boy is screaming and everything. And he starts walking towards his dad, who shoots him and kills him. <laughs> and that's when our guys realize, uh-oh, there's something wrong with these vines. That's why they're <laughs> keeping them there. They're basically being forced into quarantine here. So they go back up and uh, they tell, you know, the others up there. They've got Matthias out of the well. His leg is fucked up his back is fucked up he is in a, a tremendous amount of pain the next morning stacy who is the other girl she had gotten a cut on her leg and she finds that there is a a vine that is kind of crept around her leg and is inside the wound mm. and uh they they are able to kind of pull it out in a very Ooh. gruesome scene but then they um go to see what's going on with Matthias because he had wounds also and they pulled the blanket off of him <laughs> and these vines have eaten his legs down to the bone. Oh, Jesus. It is really gruesome. I, I got to say, watch, this is maybe the third or fourth time I do like mm -hmm. this movie. Mm -hmm. Every time this movie makes me so uncomfortable, the stress levels are high, the gore is really gory. Mm -hmm. They realize that... Uh, you know, oh my God, what's going on here? So they uh, they try to get the the vines off Matthias. They're just too wrapped around and too strong. They're inside of him and all this stuff. And then they start hearing the phone again down in the shaft. And they're like, this is what, this is our only chance. We have to get down there. So the two girls go down there. It has to be the two girls because the rope is not strong enough to hold them in. And uh, they get down there and we're getting into spoiler territory. This is really the part where the movie starts taking off but if you don't want to know uh too bad because this is what we do on this podcast it's been out for a while it, it has been <laughs> they get down there and they're trying to they actually find a phone down there uh, they find a dead woman down there who's like sucked dry and uh they grab the phone from her and um the phone doesn't work the phone has a cracked screen and it won't power up or anything like that and they're like what the fuck and then they they hear the ringing again and so they start following the ringing and these vines have these flowers on them. And in the center of these flowers are these little tendrils. And these tendrils are making the phone sound. So it sounds oh. like a ringing phone. And it's really a chilling moment where you realize, what the fuck? These, these flowers can kind of mimic sounds. 
and the girls are screaming and all that. And then suddenly the, the flowers start kind of sounding like girls screaming. Oh and it's, it's, so they, they race out of there. They try to explain what's going on to the boys. And, and uh, from there, it's, it's just a, uh, a matter of time. You realize the vines are all over this temple. They're up on the top of the temple. They're all the way down. You see the Mayans down below and they are salting the ground all around the temple so that the <laughs> vines can't grow any further than this. And it's really interesting to watch the relationships start to fall apart and accusations going on. They go crazy. Um, uh, Stacy has, uh, she, she feels like, you know, I can feel the vines in my back and, and they, they look and they can actually see the vines moving under oh, her skin. Geez. So, they, oh, so they actually cut her skin open and pull the vines out. And she's like, I, I feel them all over me. They're in my head. And they're like, no, no, they're not in their head. But then you see like this thing under her skin on her oh, forehead start geez. moving and you realize, oh, they are all over underneath her. So Stacy's mom is going to be sad. Stacy's mom has got <laughs> it going on. Uh, she goes really insane, starts <laughs> doing some some cutting of her own on herself and then and then on her boyfriend. And uh, I don't want to say exactly how this ends, but there is a, a last ditch effort to get at least one person out of here so they can tell the world what's going on. And of course, the Mayans do not want anyone to escape. So I, I think this movie is really, really strong. It's really cool on the scares. It's super original. Uh, I'm not sure where that 30% comes from because if you're a horror fan, this has everything. Yeah, that's that's surprising because I remember, I don't remember even the the violence level being that high. Mm -hmm. I just remember it being really good. Yeah. I guess my knee-jerk reaction is the frustration of everybody whining and complaining about, well, the remakes and the sequels. What about original horror? This yeah. is original horror and it's really good. So mm -hmm. go enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that there is an there is an alternate ending on the Blu-ray, but there was an a different ending completely shot that um, I guess you can't find anywhere, but it is described as such. There is a scene where somebody does escape and you see the, the truck driving away and, and you can tell that this person is infected. So they're bringing this out into the world. But the um, extended version of this mm. scene then a caretaker is seen walking among the headstones in a cemetery sometime later, whistling Frere Jaca, <laughs> right? And uh, he then hears the same tune coming from a grave. Oh, jeez. And he goes forward to investigate. The camera follows, revealing the grave to be the person who escaped. <laughs> and several red flowers around the headstone. And as the caretaker reaches for one, the music surges and the scene cuts to black. And it did not test well. Oh. Well, yeah, of course it didn't. It's a normal <laughs> it's a horror dark, film. It's nasty ending. Yeah, I, I don't know. I When I read that, I was like, God damn it, that's a way better ending than we got. That's really good. The unrated version basically, or not the unrated, but the uh, theatrical version basically shows us the person escaping and mm -hmm. that's it. Mm -hmm. The unrated version gives us the scene of showing them being infected. infected. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what, 
you know what? If you got to test these on audiences, you should you should fill it with an audience full of horror fans because right. who's going to go watch this film? Right. Yeah, like the context is so important. It's like, of course it has a dumb, like, uh-oh, it's everywhere right. ending. It's a horror movie. Exactly, yes. Uh, just a little bit of trivia on this. When the uh, producers all start coming up on the credits, Ben Stiller. <laughs> okay. Oh. Sure. Huh. And it is his production company that put oh, this out. Wow. And he was involved with this film because he is a friend of the novelist, Scott B. Smith. And so oh. he was reading the book before it was finished and <laughs> before it was even published. And he <laughs> bought it before yeah. the the story was published. That's ah, super cool. Uh, which also goes into this one. Then the director, Carter Smith, had just purchased a copy of the novel and started reading it when he got the phone call offering him the oh, job wild. to hmm. adapt it. You've read it, right? I have not read it. Oh, okay. I have not read it, uh, but I should. I have heard that it is quite a bit different and that um, the ending of the book is really dark. Uh, Carter Smith has said, you know, if we tried to film the ending of the book, everybody would have just hated us of how dark this movie is. Sure. I don't know. I just thought it was neat to see that Ben Stiller was listed as an executive yeah. producer on this. I, I always cool. go to the concept if you're really worried about being a really, really dark ending. The mist made it out there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, so come on. You can... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> the movie my mom will never forgive me for forcing her to sit through. <laughs> yeah, was, were you, you were there, weren't you? We saw the screener, saw a screening of it at uh, Paramount, whatever, downtown, that theater downtown. I saw um, a, a I went pre-release it. of it. I saw a screening of it, but not down there. Yeah, yeah I remember the lady standing on the outside yes. asking people what they thought. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so yeah, I think you uh, go for the dark. Bummer yeah, of an not? ending. <laughs> Wow, interesting. I I guess I didn't realize it was based on a book, but that makes it a little more intriguing. And what a great friend. Yeah. You want a friend like that. Like <laughs> Ben Stiller. Ben yeah. Stiller. I got to say, if you're an author, I mean, he's already done A Simple Plan and the screenplay for A Simple Plan. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I imagine when you're handing something to Ben Stiller, the thought <laughs> is, is this anything you'd be interested oh, in? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Well, cool. Nice. So yeah, my... my didn't quite fall into the claustrophobic single location, but the majority of the film takes place on the top of this Mayan temple. So Pretty much gonna, one location. I was going to be like a super asshole and just do a regular movie and say, my movie takes place on the planet Earth. <laughs> one location. That's funny. Why don't you go on your website and complain about how unreal Star Wars is now? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So Nessa, I think that makes the next pick yours. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a topic that I am shocked we have not yet covered, but really excited to throw out there. Mm. I was really inspired by watching um, The Tomorrow War. So I'm going to pitch invasion movies. I'm doing Invasion USA. <laughs> Before anybody can say anything else, Chuck Norris and I are doing Invasion USA. That that has a scene that has bugged me since I was a kid. Have you ever seen Invasion mm -hmm. USA? Remember the beginning when they bust the cocaine and some lady's got a, a straw up her nose with the cocaine and just... Just hits on the back oh, of the head. No. Oh, I, oh forgot. God. I forgot about that. Okay, never That's mind. Awful. I'm taking that off the table. <laughs> it would be nice if it was like bugs or aliens or, you know, if it was a genre film, that might be great. <laughs> All right. 
Um, Chuck Norris is a genre, just like Nick Cage is a genre. I know, but he's not the genre that I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, okay. Let's do that next week. As usual, big, big thanks to everybody participating in that value for value model. It it has blown us away, the response to this. So yeah, it's incredible. And uh, so that's it, guys. How about we get back here one week from today and we do this all over again? Okay. Sure. All right. We'll see you guys then. See ya. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, wherever fine podcasts are found. We got to make this more Hollywood, but... Or less Scandinavian. <laughs>